Hey again, if you're brand new with us, we'd love to meet you at the point in the main lobby area by the main doors after the service, give you a free gift for being here. But uh, anybody have a rough year with COVID? I mean, if you think you had a rough year in lockdown with COVID, think about, first of all, you know, the older folks like my in-laws and assisted living and, you know, the the health problems and the, the lack of visitors and all that. But think more of the Apostle Paul, who is in literal lockdown. He is in prison. He's awaiting execution. Cold, dark, damp, kind of a dungeon. Really nobody around to visit him. Too much at all. No TV, no internet, no radio, no social media. But he could write letters. And that's what we've been looking at. It is his final letter that he wrote to his young apprentice and good friend and partner in ministry and a young preacher named Timothy. We're looking at 2 Timothy his final recorded words. And are they negative? Are they full of complaining? Absolutely not. They're full of true grit about, you know, I'm going to finish strong, go to the end. And here's how you develop true grit in yourself too. How do you have the kind of determination and stamina and tenacity to finish well like Paul? So if you look ahead to what's to come, if you look beyond what you're going through to the reward, that's how you gain grit. And our big idea is fight to finish faithfully and receive that prize. And we've already seen in the first three messages uh, how that works, uh, that we're not, it's not something we're born with, it's something we gotta develop. If you wanna go back and catch up on those, watch them on our website or listen to the podcast. But as a Christian, it's absolutely necessary to understand this because you are gonna go through tough times, you're gonna go through tempting times, and you're gonna need grit to keep going. So if you got your Bible on your lap or on your app, we're gonna open it up to 2 Timothy chapter four. We're gonna do the whole chapter today. It's short, in fact, the whole letter is short. We've been saying, read it for yourself. Sit down one sitting, you can have it done or actually listen to it on the way to work. We're going to be looking at the NIV translation. It's going to be on the screen as well. And in this, we're going to see how, here's how we finish it. We're going to finish the book. Paul's going to finish his life. And how do we finish strong? Here's how it starts in 2 Timothy 4.1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. So it's like in a courtroom setting, invoking the witnesses. This is serious. This is something you gotta do. I give you this charge. If you don't do this, you know, there's trouble. What is it? Verse two, preach the word. Oh yeah, I'm all about that. Preach the word of God. I believe in the power of preaching, even in this modern digital age when preaching seems old-fashioned, outdated, and people got short attention spans. It is still God's appointed means for delivering the truth of his word. And you say, well, what is preaching? How is it different from teaching? Well, it's pretty much the same, except I think the expected and desired results. Teaching is much more about... um, informing and educating, whereas preaching is much more about announcing the good news of Jesus with the expectation of response. And so you could say, really, preaching is proclamation plus invitation. Okay, so proclamation plus invitation leads to salvation, which is why every week here we always offer an invitation for people to receive Christ, and we'll be doing that later as well. 
Teaching is more about instructing in the entire word of God, the whole will of God, whereas preaching, I think, is more focused on announcing the good news of Jesus specifically. And you can call it whatever you want. You can call it a sermon, talk, a message. We tend to tell people outside the church, oh, it's a talk. We don't say the word sermon because that's got negative connotations and nobody likes to be preached at. But truthfully, those are still good words to use. Speaking to people uh, where they are. I think good preaching and teaching addresses the, the mind and the emotions and the will. It speaks to the head and to the heart. It's a combination of announcing the gospel, telling what it means and how to apply it to your life. And I believe every sermon, every message should point people to the gospel and offer an invitation for response. Whatever kind of preaching it is can be expository, which means you're going through an entire book like we are verse by verse or it can be topical where you deal with a topic like marriage or faith or heaven or fear, anything like that. And everybody's got their preferences when it comes to preaching, uh, the different styles and that's fine. But what we need to avoid is making God's word either boring or making it excessively emotional, right? A, a preacher should be able to inform and inspire without resorting to emotional manipulation, right? You know, I, I hate that. I hate fake and hype and hollering because some preachers really know how to work a crowd and stir them up and get them all excited. Other preachers know how to put them to sleep, right? It's just drone on and on and uh, it seems totally irrelevant, no passion to it at all. So here's the deal. Zeal without knowledge is superficial and phony. Knowledge without zeal is dull and dry as burnt toast, right? So here's what Paul tells us to do going on in verse two. Be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, in favorable and unfavorable times. What do you think? Are we in favorable or unfavorable times right now? <laughs> Rhetorical question, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, it depends, I guess, on where you're at in the world. Actually, in places where Christians are being persecuted, there's hostility, there's violence against them. People are actually responding to the gospel here here, no, not so much. More of just kind of a yawn of indifference and actually a little bit of a subtle hostility toward the preaching of Scripture, right? Nevertheless, he says, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, we talked about that last week, right, in 2 Timothy 3.16, where he said, all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for what? For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, God's word does all of those things and good sermons probably should include all of those things all at the same time because sometimes you got to cut people with the truth. has to be done. But that same truth will also bring healing to people. I mean, so, look, we don't need just a bunch of feel-good sermons that never step on people's toes or take them to the woodshed. We need that sometimes, right? Neither do we need just fire and brimstone sermons that make you feel like a worthless, miserable scumbag, right? We, we need... We need sermons that convict and convince and challenge and comfort. They comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, right? And it's challenging to speak to people at all their different places, all in the same crowd, right? You have unbelievers, you have new believers, you have maturing believers, you have young adults, you have seasoned saints, you have people who have never been to church before, people who are coming back to church after many years, People who come to church every week and you're supposed to speak to all of them at the same time and, and hit them right where they live. <laughs> that, that's a challenge. But that's the beauty and power of God's word is it does exactly that. Sometimes we just need to be corrected. Why? Because we are believing the wrong things. 
So we need to be taught the right things. Sometimes we need to be rebuked because we're doing the wrong things. Hey, knock it off. And of course, nobody likes to be rebuked. And the truth is, preachers don't like to rebuke because we like to be liked. And nobody likes somebody preaching at them to shape up, which is why a lot of preachers will avoid, in this age of tolerance, calling out anybody for anything. But that's what we need sometimes, right? I mean, how much do you love your child if you don't rebuke them when they're doing wrong? So rebuke leads to repentance, and that's a good thing. We talked about last week, you got to take your stand on God's word, not on opinions and tradition and human reason and the changing social morals and and the, the shifting cultural standards. We don't care about that. What only matters is what does God say? And what God says might seem at times to be outdated. It might seem unpopular or even offensive. Doesn't matter. What we care about is the truth. We need the truth. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17. Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sometimes we need corrected, rebuked. Sometimes we need encouragement though because we're down. We're discouraged. We're doubting. And we need to hear, hey, uh, don't give up. God's still with you. God can help you. God can get you through this. He's not through with you. And the word offers all of that. And that's the power of the word is that I can speak the same message to 10 different people and all 10 of them get something different out of it. Why? Because it's a living word and God speaks to you personally at your point of need, which is why it's important you don't miss a single Sunday because God may have a word personally for you that you're going to miss if you don't hear it. And you don't have to be a preacher to speak the word, but you have to know it. The more you know your Bible, the more it's going to shape your thinking and your behaviors so that you're able to help others, correct them, rebuke them, encourage them when it's needed, speak into their lives. The Holy Spirit will help you do that if you do it in the right way, with the right spirit, with patience, he says, and careful instruction. In other words, don't beat people over the head with it. Don't shove it down their throat. Do it with a lot of tact, humility, and wisdom. Including if you're a preacher. Careful instruction. Don't slap together some sloppy sermon because you weren't willing to put in the time and effort to study, research, memorize, and write that thing. Because you're too lazy or you're too apathetic. And I hear these guys get up and they'll say, well, I'm just going to preach wherever the Spirit leads me. Well, don't blame the Holy Spirit for that mess you just spewed out. That wasn't from the Spirit. That was your own mess that you you said there now why do we devote ourselves to preaching God's word because in verses three through five it says for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine are we there yet I think so instead to suit their own desires they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear which is why it's so important that we have sound doctrine right teaching is foundational to living for God. How many times have I said this over the year? To change the way you live, you've got to change the way you think. And to change the way you think, you've got to change what you think about. Change what you think about, you've got to change what you're putting in your mind. What are you filling your mind with? Is it the truth of God's word or are you finding people who will say the things you want to hear, agree with you, and make you feel good? It's like a dog itching its ears, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, that feels good. Well, that's the spot right there, right? We do, we do that with the Q-tips, right? You ever do that? You get out the Q-tip and you put that thing in there and you start to gently twist it around. Oh, yeah. That feels good. 
And you know you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to put Q-tips in yours, but I know y'all do it, right? You know you do it because it feels good. What are you wanting to feel good? What what, what do you want to avoid? Well, don't preach about hell. Don't preach about sin. Don't preach about repentance. Don't preach about Jesus being the only way to heaven. I don't feel good. What are the myths that people want to hear? What do they listen to? Well, all stuff about sexual issues and gender ideologies and PC pop psychology and therapeutic cultural theology and prosperity gospel, biblical revisionism, reading back modern speculations back into the text of scripture to make it say just the opposite of what it says. (laughs) That's what we're doing. Looking for people who will preach what's new instead of what's true. So don't choose your beliefs based on your feelings. What are the facts? What does God say? Uh, you know, the, the facts don't care about your feelings, right? Just because it feels good doesn't mean it's right. Don't be swayed by that nonsense out there in the world, whether it's, it's given to you by friends or family, peers or preachers, right? Keep your head on straight, Paul says. No matter what the situation, no matter what the so-called scholars and experts say, you keep believing the truth and you keep preaching Jesus because that's what an evangelist does, shares the good news of Jesus Christ, whether people want to listen or not. I mean, some people are going to listen and they're going to respond. They're going to, they're going to depart from the lies and embrace the truth. Other people, they prefer the lies and they're, they're going to shut you out and they're going to call you names and that just goes with the territory. Endure the hardships. You know, you got to have thick skin and a soft heart to talk about the Lord. But if you want to finish strong, you got to discern the truth And that means you got to do the hard work of reading and studying and learning God's word so that you can discern how to make good decisions for your life and your family. And the more you're able to keep your head on straight when the lies and deceptions come and people try to persuade you to think otherwise, you got your head on straight because you've got it stuck in the word of God. Well, we go on here in verse six. Paul says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. What's that? A drink offering. That was like wine or some other thing poured out on the ground to the Lord as a sacrifice. Paul says, my life is being poured out, being drained away. I'm ready to give up my life for the Lord. Uh, Hey, he had a lot of opportunities to, uh, to save his skin right? To, to, to quit, you know, just say, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to save my life. But he knew that's how you lose your life. Really. He was ready to die as a martyr for the Lord as Jesus was on the cross. And he said that final word, tetelestai, it is finished, completed the work God gave him to do. Paul wants to say the same thing. I want to say, I have finished well. I've kept the faith. I've completed the work you've given me to do. So he reflects back in verse seven. In fact, everybody say this out loud together with me. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, which means the Christian life isn't easy. It is a spiritual battle. It is a marathon. It is painful. It is exhausting, like in a boxing match, right? Uh, you, You spend your life in this spiritual battle, fighting against your own sinful desires and the ways of the world and the devil's temptations. And sometimes you're going to feel like, like quitting, right? You're on the ropes. But you keep fighting on until you hear the final bell. Until that bell rings, you don't stop fighting. You keep getting back up. You keep going at it. You finish it. 
you finish that fight, you may be down, but don't throw in the towel. Keep fighting till the very end. Don't stop until you finish what God gave you to do. Or maybe you're in that marathon race and the soles of your feet are on fire and your side is aching and the wind is against you and you feel like quitting, but you've got to keep moving. Why? Because you've got your eye on the goal, on the finish line. You've got your eye on the prize. You've got your eye on Jesus. Many will start the race. Not everybody will finish it. And while others are falling away, you're just going to keep going because the race isn't over yet. And you're no sprinter. You're a long distance runner. You still have a ways to go. And all of heaven is cheering you on. So you got to finish it to break through the tape at the end and stand on that winner's podium and receive the prize. That's what Paul tells us in verses six or eight going on here. He says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. When the ultimate champion shows up, that's when we receive the victor's crown. That's why we long for his appearing. We know he's bringing his prize with him. So keep the faith and don't forfeit that prize for anything in this world. That's going to take grit to keep going. But you know what helps you grow grit? You grow grit by cultivating optimism. Now, I don't know if you're an optimist or a pessimist. I mean, frankly, there's good reason to be pessimistic, right? (laughs) Considering everything that's going on. But let's not forget, we got a God who's in control, who cares for us, and it ain't over until God says it's over. So we keep pressing on. As long as you're breathing, God's not through with you. Think about Paul, he's in these horrendous negative circumstances, but he still sees the positive. Instead of writing to Timothy and bringing him down and getting him to feel sorry for himself, he says, hey, let's celebrate what the Lord has done in my life and what I have to look forward to. And that makes for a really good funeral sermon. Let's celebrate what what the Lord did in my life and what I have to look forward to. I can celebrate that. Because when I focus on my circumstances, on my problems, yeah, I'm going to get negative. I'm going to get pessimistic because it's all about me. But when I begin to focus on what's to come, on what the Lord has for when I focus on pouring out my life for the good of others to lead them closer to God, I begin to experience joy because I'm fulfilling my mission and my purpose. I can sing songs of praise to God, even in fear and worry and discouragement. Optimism isn't pretending that everything's okay. It's having a hope that Jesus is going to, he's got a plan for me and I can trust him to the very end. He's going to use it for my good. And so like Paul said elsewhere, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's all good. I can keep on serving here, making a difference and I can go to heaven. I mean, what's, what's, what's the downside? I have that kind of hope and that gets me through. I'm not going to be defeated. That God's going to use me. If I'm here, he'll use me and I'll I'll encourage others along the way. And I'm sure Timothy was inspired by Paul's example. I mean, he had been through so much with Paul over the years. He had learned how to, to, uh, to serve and to preach and to lead from Paul. And he's right there with Paul up, up, uh, up through so many of his, his imprisonments and uh, other problems, taking care of his needs unselfishly. He said, okay, well, what happens to Timothy. Well, according to Fox's book of martyrs, which is full of traditions about those who died for their faith, Timothy continued to serve on in Ephesus until AD 97. So as an old man, he's there in the city and there's this big pagan 
celebration feast and there, the, there's a parade through town. There's a processional of people all worshiping the idols and good old Timothy comes out there and severely rebukes them for their idolatry which antagonizes them so badly they beat him so bad he dies two days later. He finishes well, tetelestai. And then he goes on in verses 9 through 13 to include a lot of names here. Verse 9, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Now who's Demas? This is a guy who had stood with Paul before in one of his other imprisonments, but now he has deserted him. He's bailed out on him and that's going to happen sometimes. Not everybody who starts the race is going to finish it. People who uh, were there for you in the beginning don't always finish with you. Some people turn back. They go back to their old life, to the ease and popularity and pleasures of this world. We've seen that in the news a lot lately, the past couple years. All these deconversions of some Christian celebrities and authors and musicians, haven't we? He goes on to say, Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So it's kind of sad because he knows his days are numbered and like, man, you got to get here quick. Hurry up, Timothy. Get Mark. Bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Why? Because I'm in a cold, dark dungeon. It's damp. Winter's coming. I need something to cover me up. I need something to, to have some bedding to lie on. I need something for my body, but also need something for my mind. So uh, also, by the way, uh, bring my scrolls, especially the parchments. All right? I love that because I still got work to do, man. I ain't done yet. I still got ministry to carry on until I die. So think about what part can you play in being useful to God and in helping other servants as well. Like all these guys were helping Paul. I mean, whether you were... Somebody like Luke and Mark, he mentions, that ended up writing Gospels. Or you're like Titus, who leads a church, or Tychicus, who's a behind-the-scenes worker. Or you're only mentioned once, like Crescens or Carpus. All of us have a ministry, and all of us can be useful to the Lord by serving others. And Paul cared for them, not just because they were useful to him, but because they shared a partnership in Christ. They had a bond in ministry. Now, on the other hand, there's these kind of guys, verses 14 and 15. Alexander. The metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. And you too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Who's Alexander? We see him at Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus. Metal worker who makes idols, right, for people to worship. So you can imagine Paul and these are putting them out of business because they're turning people to God. So Alexander and others try to get rid of Paul and all the Christians. But that's okay. You know, they're going to do what they're going to do. God's going to deal with them one day, just like today. Those who oppose us, God's going to deal with them. It's all right. Goes on in verses 16 to 18. At my first defense, he's talking about when he was in court, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Been there where somebody bails out on you. They said, oh, I got your back. And then they turn their back on you. I've been there. What are you going to do? Well, I'm not going to hold on to a grudge and bitterness. Let God deal with that. He says, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So it's awesome. I mean, he's in prison, but he said, look at me. I got this platform. 
I'm in court in the imperial palace and I'm telling everybody about Jesus. How cool is that? And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What's the lion's mouth here? I don't really know. I don't think it was literally throwing him to the lions in the Roman Colosseum because Paul was a Roman citizen, unlike the other Christians that got thrown to the lions. That wasn't legal to do, but I think he's talking here more about the devil being that lion, that roaring lion on the prowl seeking whom he may devour that I don't have to worry about those kinds of attacks because the Lord's going to stand with me just like he did with Daniel in the lion's den and he's going to deliver me from those things because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Others may disappoint me and desert me but the Lord will never leave me or forsake me. He's going to be with me and yes, I know I'm going to die. He's not going to deliver me from death but that's okay. So I'm going to trust in the Lord no matter what. And guess what? My death will be my deliverance. Ministry is about people. And sometimes people can be a pain. And they can grieve you. And they can desert you. And they can drop out on you. Oh yeah, happens all the time. But then there are the others who remain faithful and make it worth it all. And they're the ones that keep you going. And I'm so grateful for brothers and sisters and fellow servants here who are just like that because we're a team and we need each other. Going on some more names, verses 19 through 22. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. <laughs> Who's that? Well, Onesiphorus had a family and they were very useful to Paul. And Quill and Priscilla were a married couple doing great ministry. And we got a lot of great couples in the church like that too. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. By the way, yes, Christians get sick and they don't always get healed, right? Why didn't Paul heal Trophimus? Don't know, have no idea. Timothy also got sick with stomach problems. But do your best to get here before winter. Why? Because winter weather is gonna shut down the shipping lanes and it's gonna be too late. So get here as quick as you can. Now, did, did Timothy make it in time before Paul died? Again, I have no idea. Doesn't say. But Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. A lot of Roman names there because they're in Rome. And now his very final words. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. In the words of that old hymn, Amazing Grace. Through many dangerous toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And it led Paul home. Because tradition tells us that he was beheaded by the sword under Nero. He finished well. Tetelestai. Faithful to the end. Will you be? Fight to finish faithfully and receive the prize. The victory of Easter is only possible because of the suffering on Good Friday. And what Jesus said before he died, it is finished, Ted Lestai, that's actually a word that comes from the business world and accounting world. Because when somebody would pay off a debt, they would stamp that document, that bill, that receipt with the word Ted Lestai. It is paid in full. Jesus is saying on the cross, I am paying your debt. I am paying your bill in full with my life to do for you what you could not do for yourself. I have paid for your sins. What greater love has anyone than this, that they lay down their life 
for us. And it's not because we deserved it, just the opposite. That's why we need that grace. He wants to offer you this gift of forgiveness, of peace with God. He wants to offer you his presence and his power and his, the hope of eternal life. But first, you die. Jesus said, whoever wants to find his life will lose it for my sake. You've got to die to your old self. You've got to crucify it, the, the person you were with Christ. Bury that person in the water of baptism so that you can rise up a new, forgiven, and filled person with his spirit, clean and new. Paul earlier wrote that I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. He will finish it in you. Will you follow him to the very end, no matter how many or how few days you have left? If it's your day to make the decision to follow Christ, finally, from this day forward to say, Jesus is my savior. I'm gonna follow him as my leader. I turn from my sin so that I can turn to him. And I wanna be baptized today into Christ. And let us know. We would love to help you with the best decision ever. Text your name to that number you see on the screen or email us. If you're on site, go out to, again, the point after the service there by the main doors. I have friends that will answer your questions, pray with you, whatever your need is, help you get ready for your baptism. If you're online, click the link. We'll get back to you as soon as possible to get you here, get you baptized, or show you how to do it at home. But let's pray about that decision now. Father God, we're so grateful for the sacrifice of your son. And uh, we're, we're remembering it, not just this Good Friday, but every day, Lord. We're, we're praying for an incredible Easter Sunday as we celebrate your victory over sin and death and the devil and hell. Lord, would you fill us up with your spirit so that we can be strengthened to finish what we start and fill up this place with the people that we're praying for and inviting. And we're still praying right now, silently. I wanna give everybody a, a chance to pray for people you know by name, that they would be here for, to hear the good news of Easter, God. Uh, go ahead, pray silently, aim for at least seven names. Father, uh, strengthen us to keep the faith and encourage others along the way. Lord, keep us, keep our eyes focused on Jesus, on the goal, confident that you're gonna go with us through every step of the way, through thick and thin. And I'm praying right now for hearts to be open to receive Christ and to choose life. We pray that in Jesus' name.